Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Ki 
Da 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 
Oh, yeah. 
J.M. in the A.M. Well, as listener Ruvain says, this was a great hour of music. I must say, <laughs> it was going so well, I wasn't even going to interrupt it. No way. We were just rolling this morning from 6 till 7 Eastern time. I think I was in competition with Mark Zamek, who put together such an amazing Arab Shabbos show for Hazinu and Shabbos Shuva that I felt that I had to just keep the music going and prove that I could do the same thing, <laughs> frankly. Uh, J.M. in the A.M., Friday Arab Shabbos. Uh, you heard Trumpets and Kavodo done by Lipa, Shlomo Katzva, Koanim, Kapara done by Avremel, David Stein, Hedva Aviosim, Hashem Malach, that was Isaac Vitone, Srili Williger's Kiva Karas, uh, Malach Rachamim the Shira Choir from a live performance, Adam Yesodo, brand new Shlomo Katz, words from uh, the Yamim Noroyim, the High Holidays. Ledavid, we say it during... Uh, Elul and most of Tishrei, that's Yaakov Shweki, and of course Regesh, Modani opening things up, and we say good morning. It's Friday on this September the 25th, day 7 in the month of Tishrei, the year 5781. It's the 7th day of the brand new year, 5781, on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Hazinu, Erev Shabbos Shuvah. Candle lighting in New York, 627, 627 candle lighting in New York. We are uh, here today. 9 o'clock, right after Jam the AM. It's Mark Zomik again with the Arab Shabbos show, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. At, um, all through the day, the Arab Shabbos music mix, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. That goes to candlelighting. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Siegel with Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. On Sunday morning, it's Matis with an Arab Yom Kippur JM Sunday, starting at 7 a.m. Eastern time. And then remember, the next live program will be Tuesday mornings, JM in the AM. Don't forget, Sunday night is Yom Kippur. Sunday night, we'll light candles at 623. And Sunday night and Monday will be Yom Kippur with Yisker and everything else you'd expect on Yom Kippur. Um, all right, so 627 is candle lighting today. And, uh, and the next time we'll speak to you live, or I'll speak to you live, will be Tuesday morning. Our week will begin a little later Tuesday morning around the world, everyone, because Monday, of course, universally, internationally, everywhere is the observance of the holiest day of the year, Yom HaKippurim. 64 degrees, 82% humidity, winds are west at 3 miles per hour. Morning sun, afternoon clouds, a high of 80. Mainly cloudy tonight, low 65, and tomorrow mostly cloudy and a high 75 degrees. We're at 78 in Yerushalayim, 64 here in New York City as we say good morning. At JM in the AM, it is in fact America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners' sponsored digital radio around the world of web and NachumSiegel.com and the NachumSiegel Network and of course on the beloved NSN app. We'll get to our news from Israel coming up. You hear Galay Tzal in the background. 
and um, and that'll be coming up. Plus uh, Harry Rothenberg, of course, with words about the uh, Parshas Hazinu and Shabbos Shuva. Plus, we'll have uh, Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He'll join us coming up at 7.40 Eastern Time here at JM in the AM for the weekly update. Rabbi Yudin has words about um, Hazinu and Shabbos Shuva and probably Yom Kippur as well. That'll happen at about 8.15 this morning here at JM in the AM. And uh, we go until 9 o'clock with our JM in the AM broadcast. I had read something about certain Yom Kippur War recordings being released. I'm wondering if that's what they're referring to now or if that's just a general announcement regarding Yom Kippur this coming uh, Sunday night in Israel and everywhere. Um, Coming up... Our news from Israel, plenty more here at JM in the AM. As we wish everybody a Gemara Chatimatova, happy, healthy, and sweet New Year. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday is next. Boker Tov from JM in the AM. אלפי שוטרים ומאות חיילים פרוסים כעת ברחבי הארץ על מנת לאכוף את ההנחיות החדשות הכוללות מגבלות תנועה ואיסור עבודה לעסקים ומפעלים שאינם חיוניים. ובכנסת לא הושגה הסכמה בדיונים בוועדת החוקה על התיקון לחוק הקורונה שיתיר הגבלת הפגנות ותפילות, זאת לאחר שאופוזיציה הגישה אלפי הסתייגויות ועיכבה את ההצבעה. שר הבריאות אדלשטיין הודיע כי בתגובה הביא לאישור הממשלה תקנות לשעת חירום שיהיה בכוחן להגביל התקהלות עד לחקיקת החוק בכנסת בשבוע הבא. אדלשטיין אמר, מול עיניי נמצאת לפני הכל בריאות הציבור, לא יאפשר סיכון חיי אדם בהתקהלויות בכלל ולא בהפגנות ולא בבתי הכנסת. שר הביטחון גנץ הודיע כי כחול לבן תתנגד למהלך והדגיש, ההחלטה על הסגר המחמיר נועדה לבלום את המגפה ולא לחסום את ההפגנות או התפילות. נמנע שימוש בתקנות לשעת חירום שממוקדות בסוגיות אלה או בכל נושא אחר. כתבינו מוריה אסרה וולברג ויניר קוזין מציינים כי נכון לשעה זו, ההפגנות והתפילות לא תוגבלנה. חשד לרצח ביפו, במרכז הרפואי וולפסון נקבע מותו של גבר בשנות ה-30 לחייו שפונה על ידי צוות מגן דוד אדום במצב אנוש לאחר שנורה ברחוב הרב רובינשטיין בעיר. לאחר מאמצי החייאה נאלצו הרופאים לקבוע את מותו. כתבנו בן נצר מעדכן שהמשטרה פתחה בחקירה. בפריז, ארבעה בני אדם נפצעו מדקירות סמוך למשרדים לשעבר של שרלי הבדו. מצוד מתנהל כעת אחר שני חשודים, כך עדכן ראש ממשלת צרפת, ז'אן קסטקס. ממונה הקורונה, הפרופסור רוני גמזו, אמר היום בריאיון לסוכנות הידיעות AP, כי הוא מצפה שהסגר הנוכחי יחזיר את התחלואה לרמות נוחות כלשונו, וטען כי החזרת התלמידים בכיתות הגבוהות למערכת החינוך הייתה כישלון. עוד אמר ממונה הקורונה, כי המשבר נוהל בצורה רעה. אני מאמין שראש הממשלה, כמו רבים אחרים, לא הבין שיציאה מהסגר חייבת להיות מאוד זהירה והדרגתית, אמר גמזו, אף איש מקצוע מתוך המשרד. או הממשלה לא הניף דגל אדום, לפעמים ראש ממשלה צריך גם את זה. 
מזג האוויר היום ללא שינוי, מחר שבת יתכן גשם מקומי קל, בצפון הארץ ובמישור החוף. אלה החדשות.
J.M. in the A.M. Shimon Kramer, Machnise Rachamim, words from uh, Slichas, of course. Well, that song will do in a few minutes. <laughs> First, we're going to go to Harry Rothenberg. Uh, I, I was um, I was just looking at the clock. Ten minutes ago, the lockdown began in earnest in Israel. Ten minutes ago, 2 p.m. Israel time. Uh, the lockdown began in earnest in Israel. Um, thinking of our brothers and sisters in the Holy Land, really thinking of them. Uh, a lot of people here are in difficult situations, a lot of shuls, a lot of congregations. You know, it, it, it's not easy what's going on, no matter what the situation is, frankly. And everyone has to deal with their own circumstances. But uh, in Israel... Um, in Israel, it's a numbers-wise in terms of how many people can gather, shul-wise in terms of which shuls can open. It's just it's a very, very, very difficult situation. And seven thousand cases yesterday, seven thousand, which is hard to believe. So, um, our thoughts with everybody in the Holy Land, and I welcome those of you who are tuned in from Israel. Thank you for tuning in. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone, and comment away. Listener Tikva in Israel. Shana Tava, Shabbat Shalom, Gemar Chatimatava. Same to you, and thank you. Um, last JMNAM show till after Yom Kippur, Trucker Yitz points out. 
<laughs> I just tuning in late. I didn't touch that dial, but the app button was off while sleeping. Thank you, Yitz. <laughs> I kept saying, and I've been saying every Thursday morning for God knows how many weeks now, don't touch that dial until candlelighting time. Yeah. Uh, Harry Rothenberg has words, uh, and uh, knowing Harry, some amazing words about uh, the upcoming Shabbos, Hazinu Shabbos Shuvah. Here he is on a Friday morning Erev Shabbos at JM in the AM. Oh, my apologies. I don't know why. We'll give it one more shot to see if our file will work properly. Let's see if this helps. If not, then... No, all right. Problems with our audio, and I apologize for that. Uh, if we can uh, fix that in the next few minutes, we will certainly present Harry Rothenberg on this week. Um, many of you, of course, uh, receive his uh, his email every Friday, so you'll have an opportunity to access it at some point today. And my apologies for that. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos at JM in the AM.
Listener request for the Yeshiva Boys Choirs. We snuck in one of their tunes on this Erev Shabbos Shuvah. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, and I believe, Baruch Hashem, that we have uh, Harry Rothenberg ready to speak to us about uh, Parshas Hazinu and Shabbos Shuvah. Uh, here he is, Harry Rothenberg, with the uh, words about this upcoming Shabbos at JM in the AM. The sages tell us that each of us should feel that the world was created for me. Now that sounds incredibly egomaniacal. Why should we feel that way? And the answer is so that we'll take responsibility, so that you'll realize you were put here in the world to do something. You have a mission and it's not to lie on the couch. So perhaps though, nowadays, in the situation where we find ourselves still in the middle of the ongoing pandemic, there's a corollary to this. Maybe each of us should feel that God pressed reset on the world, introduced COVID, changed everything about the way we interact because of me or because of you. Now you'll say, because of me? What in the world did I do that was so terrible? I get it, I'm not perfect, but press reset on the world, the pandemic because of me? Maybe yes. And the more you ask why, the more that may upset God. Like the stereotypical husband who comes home and his wife is very upset. He says, what's wrong? And she won't tell him. He says, why won't you tell me? And she won't tell him. And the more he asks, the more upset she gets until he realizes that he's obviously the problem. He did something wrong. And then it hits him. Oh no, he forgot their anniversary or her birthday. So of course, the more he was asking, the more upset she was getting because he should have been able to figure it out. And we should be able to figure out what we're doing wrong. Maybe as we get ready for Yom Kippur, it's time to take a good, long, honest look in the mirror. Not to look for gray hairs or for pimples, but to make an honest accounting of where we're standing spiritually. To go through and chart the things that we're not doing that we know we should be doing or the things we are doing that we know we should not be doing. Every one of us struggles in certain areas of our spirituality. Some of us have difficulty with honesty in business or in interpersonal relationships. Some of us find it difficult to properly honor our parents. Some of us have trouble keeping the Sabbath or keeping it properly. Some have difficulty with the kosher laws. Some of us find it very tough to restrain what comes out of our mouths. Vulgarities, falsehoods, gossip, and insults. Others struggle with giving charity or giving enough charity. Some of us find it difficult to set aside time or enough time to study or to pray. But rest assured, no matter what area it is in which you find that you're struggling or which you find difficult, there are others who have the same problem. Unless you're a serial murderer, many people out there struggle with your issue. And so maybe this Yom Kippur, it's time to lawyer up, to bring a class action before God. The sages explain that the best way to ensure that your prayers will be answered is to pray for someone else who has the same issue, the same struggle, the same difficulty. And so maybe we can appeal to God this Yom Kippur not just on behalf of ourselves with our individual issue, but on behalf of everyone who has that issue, asking God to please grant us a reprieve. We feel very bad about our failings from the last year. 
we deeply regret them. And we, not just me, we, all of us struggling with that issue, want another chance. Get rid of the pandemic, give us a year of health, and let us work on that area. That when we're honest, we know and admit needs work. And hopefully, this year, each one of us will not only resolve and aim to be better, but will succeed.
JM in the AM. Ari Goldwagen, Menucha Vesimcha, Shalom Aleichem, done by Ace from Volume 3. You did your mayor, had Mayadidus, Shimon Kramer with Mari Cohen, and Ain Kitzva from the High Holiday Service, and Omdos Hayu, that was the Solomon Brothers. Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos, Parshas Hazinu, it's Erev Shabbos Shuva, candle lighting in New York at 627. I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. Reminding their readers about uh, the uh, 24 hours uh, per day that the Nahum Siegel Network is on. We thank them for that. And also, I recommend, if you're about to enter uh, Shabbos, wherever you are around the world, and you want to uh, print out thousands of articles having to do with Israel and the Jewish world, so you can uh, take a look at them over Shabbat. Or maybe, maybe you're in quarantine. Maybe you're in a situation where you literally can't leave your home, so you have extra time, um, even more time over Shabbat to uh, review some articles and check out what's happening. Go to jewishworldreview.com, again, jewishworldreview.com, and to check out what they have to offer, thousands of articles on the uh, subject of Israel and the Jewish world. JM the AM, this portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. A reminder that Abel's and Hyman kosher hot dogs are available in every single Trader Joe's nationwide. Check it out. Try A&H today. You'll be glad you did. An absolutely delicious product. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He joins us Friday's weekly update here. At JM and the AM, Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Oh, thank you. It's uh, good to be back with you. Our Please final stay. show before the Day of Judgment. The Day of Judgment is on the way. Sunday night and Monday, observed internationally really? by Jews all around the world. Pretty Nobody amazing. tells us anything. Who knew? Yeah, that's true. I, I assume you mean who knew the last time we had the Day of Judgment that the next 12 months would be the way they were, right? <laughs> Sort of that these holidays sneak up on us uh, now much more than <laughs> usually. Actually, you were you were being a lot less philosophical than I thought you were being. All of a sudden, but, you turn around and you're right. We have another holiday, thank God. And uh, but, but we are being judged, I think, every day. And those who, who don't get the message are, uh, you know, will come before an ultimate judgment. You know, it's interesting, and and you're right, of course, and that is a, such an important message. But you said to me something off the air before this. This conversation began. You you said to me that uh, you had a concern about those who judge the Jewish community. A lot of people are literally offering public judgments of the Jewish community. Specifically, we're talking about the New York, New Jersey area, obviously, but I'm sure internationally, especially seeing what's going on in Israel, people have things to say as well and judgments to uh, uh, to give. And, and you would prefer if people spoke more in geographic terms or zip code terms, as you told me, than to single out, quote unquote, Jewish communities. And and, and I and I know that not just as a point of fact, uh, in terms of the realities that our communities, you know, like other communities are are suffering from an uptick in numbers, but 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 you also are concerned with what ramifications it could have when public officials and others speak the way they do about our community. Well, I'm more than concerned. I'm, I'm quite outraged about the behavior of some who, who keep emphasizing Orthodox and Hasidic communities, as they say. I heard it this morning on several radio stations reporting the news, talking about the outbreak in 
communities designated as Orthodox communities. And the, uh, by the way, I've heard it from in British reports and in papers around the world have been singling out uh, this, you know, specific phenomenon. They never singled out another community where there have been outbreaks by their identity, religious identity, racial identity, anything else. And it is only when it comes to the Jewish community and the Orthodox Jewish community, and yet, and people are impacted. This feeds anti-Semitism, and, it, and plain and simple. And I think that while it's not the intent on the part of many, that it's the lack of caution. It's the fact that they can engage in these kind of blatant um, descriptions and uh, targeting which it wouldn't do in other instances because it's, uh, you know, it's, it is not a, a practice. It's not something that people are putting out in defiance. The demonstrations by tens of thousands did not get the same response. I, I believe that the responsibility rests with our community, the fact that we have an outbreak and people are flaunting the rules or not abiding by it. I think it's in many places in the breach. It's not uh, the rule I see people walking around with masks. I've seen all the outdoor synagogues services, uh, which I attend to in, in a tent, and the efforts that are being made to to uh, prevent it. Um, the schools came back. Public schools haven't come back yet in the same way. They, you will see the same spike in numbers. There's also an increased testing that goes on right. in the community. Right. So, you know, the, the numbers probably are not as disproportionate as they, they try to present it. But I think uh, elected officials better be careful with their words because the consequences can be severe. And, and, and people of faith in other communities around this country have always turned to you for cooperation when it comes to certain topics, certain, uh, uh, you know, certain things that need to be addressed. And and frankly, I think and and what you just presented regarding the Jewish, you know, the the the, the Jewish community's uh, concerns is obviously uh, uh, is obviously very concerning. But I think there's a bigger picture here with some episodes that we're seeing around the country, where officials are either condemning or um, or criticizing those of faith in general. When you see arrests of people who are you know, at outdoor Christian services, when you see uh, and when you hear comments about uh, you know, gatherings that are, you know, faith gatherings that are being either shut down or singled out, we may have more than just a Jewish problem going forward. It could be the entire community of faith in this country is going to be wrongly criticized. Well, they are um, attacked, uh, people of, of faith, of the various faiths. Um, and it doesn't mean that they're above criticism. It doesn't mean any group, any individual, any faith, any sector of society uh, should be, can be subject to criticism, and their leadership should be pursued to to uh, and pushed to to take action where they can. It's it's not because there's no switch that you can turn. Um, I think that the the uh, point you're making though about religion being under siege is something that others feel as well. Right. But, you know, religious leaders have responsibilities, too, and, and that is to lead their people. And now we have an opportunity. And, and certainly the rabbis I've heard speak about this and urging people to take the precautions and in implementing them, uh, I think represent uh, the vast majority. Yeah, but right. My point being that not only do we have a situation where we, we feel that there's a wrong, uh, that Jews are being wrongly criticized, I think in general, because we are people of faith, that our 
you know, our right. faith, our faith activities are being There's singled a out. That is associated with you know, a Jewish wedding looks like a, a faith gathering. Frankly, <laughs> you know, the, the way we do things, the religious service, as do you know, anytime people are are, are davening together, anytime people are gathering together for any type of of Jewish gathering, and it just, I think it's a. I think it's of great concern as well. So um, everybody out there, follow the rules. And this is something you've been saying from the beginning. Follow the rules. Let's let's encourage everybody, whether we are rabbis or not. Let's encourage everybody in our communities to uh, to be compliant. And let's you know try to stop the irresponsibility. Right, we're the first to admit that there's irresponsibility in our community in certain in certain places and and uh, you know certain individuals but but at the same time we have to safeguard not to be attacked by public officials and others when it comes to you know when it comes to news reports faith gatherings and everything else that you just described uh israel is now officially under lockdown for the last 53 minutes until shemini atzeris until the holiday ends on uh on um shemini atzeris simchus torah uh, I, I, do, have they ever have they ever figured out exactly how things are going to work? How people are going to shop for Lulavim and Esrogim? How people are going to go to Shrul on Yom Kippur? What is allowed? What isn't allowed? What's an exception? What's not an exception? Or it's basically the same unclear status that it's been every time they've gone into lockdown. No, there is there are clear rules, and and they seem to be defining them as they go along. Uh, I don't know whether they've specifically, wh- whether the Esrogim uh, and Lubim stores will be open. First of all, the, um, everything it can be delivered in Israel, so people are not being, you know, kept from, from getting food supply, and the army steps in and others. They have a, a lot of infrastructure, which they apply, and this is costing Israel um, uh, billions of shekels, uh, both the lockdown and the, you know, trying to, to provide alternative sources and, and making sure that everybody is, is cared for. Uh, but there is no alternative when you're getting into the five 6,000 number uh, uh, daily, then you have to take these these strict measures. The hospitals are at their, their maximum now, and hopefully we will see a sharp decrease and they'll be able to lift the um, the sanctions, but the the, the limitations, but I think that it has to be done in a slow and meaningful way. We see the, that this disease is one that is highly unpredictable, that we see young people, we see people getting it for a second time, we see so many other things that people thought were not, um, that this, the virus didn't affect. Uh, in fact, I saw last night a report that the outbreak is amongst um, younger people, but the deaths, of course, are more amongst older people, right. um, and the the uh, you know we don't want to come back to the situation that we have. But I hear a lot of ambulances at night, and believe have to believe that that a good part of that is is uh, COVID related. So I hope people will you know look at the situation in Israel, and it's not because the government is anti-orthodox. They made provisions for people to be able to have minyanim, ten people, twelve people. Uh, getting together within a clo- half a kilometer of their houses, and um, I think that this, you know, it can be made to work. It has to work. People are are upset that that there is a lockdown, and and you know they're extending it to impact businesses, and now they're going to maybe make it all businesses. Uh, and that is unfortunate, but it's 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 necessary. Better the short term pain than the long term loss. Of more and more people. A lot of the concession for davening and Yom Kippur is outdoors, and you know, and and frankly, Monday is supposed to be the hottest day of the week in Israel. And make... it has been very hot there all 
all along throughout this period, this mm-hmm. recent uh, days. But you're right. And uh, outdoor minyanim, they they get tents. They can make arrangements as we as we have done, as others have done. But a and lot I of think, people are going to stay home, which I get. I mean, a lot of people will just you know make fasting the priority and and have no choice but to stay home. Look, it's an unusual and, and crazy year. And, and do you fear? Do you fear that you know Israel could wait? God forbid. I I get it. God forbid. But you know you could wake up. Uh, after Shemini Atzeres, and who knows? Will th- will this be sufficient to get the numbers down? Will this be sufficient? You know, who who knows? Nobody knows. And and my concern is is the long term impact on on kids, on uh, dominating on our institutions. Many yeah. of which have had to lay off and and diminish their infrastructure greatly. Will they be able to come back? Will people get too used to the Zoom services? Will they? Um, you know, some uh, claim that they have more people on because of it, but it's. I think it's it's a very questionable assertion, uh, and certainly what the long-term uh, ramifications. Uh, I know I spoke to educators who told me their concerns about kids davening now and other things that that um, may have suffered in their attention spans and getting used to to coming back to a regular life. I think the kids want it. I think the kids need it. They need the association. They want to be with their friends. Um, but nobody knows what the long-term impact will be of all these uh, of this radical change in their lives. And then the industries that you know now some people are thinking the smartest thing they could have done was to have left their industry the second this started. You know, between the restaurants and travel and cruises and I mean, obviously Pesach programs and things like that. I mean, I mean, if someone asked you if someone would be able to travel to Israel from the United States in the summer of 2021, you have no idea at this point. We just have no clue. We have no idea how long this is going to last. We have no idea how these industries are ever going to rebound. It's true. Uh, and the Israeli hotels actually didn't suffer as badly because there was a lot of internal tourism, uh, meaning Israelis going to, to places, but obviously they can't charge them. It's just a holding action for a lot of the hotels. Uh, uh, and the uh, But the tourist industry itself suffered uh, greatly. You see the pictures of Ben-Gurion. You know, it's a ghost town, the airport. Uh, and and nobody knows. You know, I, I saw the reports from the business councils here saying that they don't expect uh, to reach 50% of the businesses till next July, being back in, in their offices. And I know many places will not come back, and you have the exodus of people. You have so many factors that, you know, we don't uh, focus on or people don't, you know, we don't want to discourage people. You don't want to have... Um, People be so down and think that and give up hope. This city is still a great place and will be. We have too much infrastructure. We have too many important communities. Uh, and what happens in situations like this is that the people can least afford it, can't leave or can't relocate. Uh, and there, you know, there has to come a point where people make a decision that they're staying and then it's going to make the city great again. I think we we'll hope we have the leadership that will will be able to take us there. But right now, if you talk to people in the real estate industry, many others, it's it's except for the movers, they're the only ones who seem to be very optimistic. <laughs> it's funny how so many—I shouldn't say so many—but some industries have really benefited from this whole situation. That being one of them. And then, of course, once let, let's say, in fact, travel would come back by the summer. Uh, who's comfortable? Who, who's comfortable? You know, it's funny. Someone mm-hmm. someone asked me yesterday about Cholamoid events this Sukkot, and I said, you know, if you could put together an event, let's say outdoors, you know, social distancing, etc., if you could put together where everyone's convinced that it's a safe environment, 
I think you'd sell out because people are so desperate. <laughs> and by the way, Cholomoid is five days this year. Right. E- even in Chutzlar, it's, it's five days if you count Oshana Rabba. Uh, meaning not Shabbos. And, 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 and I'm saying that people are so, and I'm wondering, travel comes back. Will people flock because they're so desperate to get it going again? Or will they stay away another couple of years because who's comfortable? Who's comfortable enough to make that transition and to actually go into a plane with others and, you know, and stay in hotels and be in social environments like that? We have zero idea. As this day of judgment approaches, Malcolm, this is the day, this is the time of year to reaffirm that we have no clue what he has pled for the future. Simple. And that's why that rise falls on us, the responsibility to do what we can, because we don't have, um, you know, the knowledge that we look back and we look to, to our past to understand how we dealt with situations like this in the past. Right. You know, Zechariah uh, Mosalam, we're going to read it this Shabbos, right. to, to the remembrance and why history is so important, and asking our parents and grandparents, aside from our own direct history, um, but to learn and to listen to the elders and their advice to, to those who, who think they know better. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, it's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program, heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Round the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com and the NahumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Were you surprised by the uh, the level of respect given to Ruth Bader Ginsburg after her passing? No, she's been lionized. There are movies about her, books about her. There are she she achieved a unique status, um, and that's being given expression in the fact that she. I think the first woman to be to be um, uh, laying in state at the Capitol, and uh, the president even went there uh, to pay respects to her. So it's um, yeah, it's, it's a phenomenon. Yeah, no question about it. And of course, the fact that she's from the Jewish community, and we hear, you know, a, a mullah being said in her memory, etc. I mean, I, I would have preferred, frankly, it, uh, that you know that the 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 um, the the guideline that we have. I'm being careful which word I'm using. The guideline that we have we have in terms of you know burial sooner rather than later. I think that may have been you know more for the Jewish community to take pride in if it would have happened. But you know. I guess that wouldn't have met American standards in terms of how to pay proper respect and tribute to somebody. No, rea- no reaction. No, that was a statement, not a question. <laughs> I know, but you often react to my statements. I often count on you reacting to my statements, frankly. Uh, you know, the traffic may not be there, but the U.N. General Assembly is actually in session, right? It is, and we've had some Zoom calls You know, each year during this period. We might have... 30, 40 meetings with right. heads of state, foreign ministers, you know, the people representing the countries at the UNGA. Uh, this year, uh, we are still doing some by Zoom uh, and uh, appreciate that these leaders make themselves available for us to have, uh, you know, we have serious discussions about the issues. Part of the problem is that, that uh, one of the prices we're paying for COVID is that many key issues are are being shunted aside, are not being paid attention to when there are good developments or bad developments, uh, are not getting the proper attention. You know that this this week they launched 
the uh, the Mediterranean, Eastern Mediterranean gas form with uh, Greece and Cyprus and Italy and Egypt and Israel, and now the PA is in and Jordan uh, is in, and I know France wants to join, the EU and the U.S. are observers, um, where, as you know, I've talked for a long time about our Mediterranean initiative, and these here you have it with the cooperation, and now linking up to the Gulf, you could create an amazing um, basin from the Gulf, from from uh, um, the the Emirates all the way to Gibraltar, wow. uh, and there are many other countries, including Turkey, that that look at it, but it will not be allowed in until they become a, a responsible citizen. But the this kind of development, which would have been you know unheard of before, and where they're all sitting together working on how you you deal with the new discoveries of oil and and make sure that they go the right way. Um, the the uh, fact that uh, Israel and the UAE and Bahrain are already moving so fast on establishing ties, business connections, on the governmental and, and on individual commercial uh, levels. Um, I think that the people are beginning to understand that this is something different than what we've experienced in the past with pieces, that this is something that involves grassroots support, uh, those who have uh, been there, to, you know, say that the, the people, and I've spoken to the people there, and tell me that they get stopped on the streets, and people are very supportive, and more countries are, are looking at it. We know the Sudan, there were negotiations this week um, in the UAE with uh, Sudan, which has asked for $3 billion in aid, and they want to get off the U.S. terrorism list. Right. Uh, we know that Oman, we know that others, Qatar, Kuwait, um, I've all been uh, flirting with it, and we'll see who's next. But in the meantime, what we're seeing is that the attempts by Iran, which we would have said up to two months ago, have been successful in encircling Israel. It's now Iran that's encircled. Mm-hmm. With the UAE, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, the alliances with Egypt, and now and Israel, of course, <coughs> and Jordan and others that, that will stand against uh uh, Iran, and we see the diminution in, in their uh, status in the region. Uh, it's really remarkable. Unfortunately, the Europeans aren't supporting the U.S. with the additional sanctions, and especially the snapback uh, to to make up for the demise of the and uh, of the um, embargo on arms sales, which expires on the 18th of October. Mm. Um, uh, unfortunately, they're not. Uh, mobilizing, but the U.S. is is going to have additional sanctions, which I think will uh, have impact. And we see the continuation, by the way, another big explosion near Tehran in uh, Islamshan County uh, of a big factory. And what was interesting? What was in the factory? um, They have not discussed neither casualties nor the circumstances, literally nothing, even though it was visible and people in Tehran could could uh, see it and hear it. Um, and, and a similar thing, you know, in Lebanon, we've had a, a huge explosion at an arms depot that Hezbollah was was uh, Yeah, but that, there for. they told us what was inside, right. But they did not talk about the casualties. They did not talk mm-hmm. about any things that they would normally talk about, nor the cause. And why the reason I'm drawing the analogy is that in both instances, Iran and uh, Hezbollah, Lebanon, which have experienced a series of these explosions. And, you know, we now learn that Iran had probably had enough enriched uranium in March to build a bomb. Now, with the setback of all these places that were blown up, and especially in the Natanz facility, it set them back significantly. 
uh, uh, but what's interesting is they don't do it. They don't say and ascribe blame in the way they usually do because the people will demand retaliation. And they don't want to have to start up with Israel, and now especially Israel in coalition with others. So they they keep it uh, amorphous about the responsibility for these uh, explosions, even though the people have seen it. I mean, you can't hide when you have these massive... Uh, uh, an arms depot goes up, and it says, some say that it was weapons and stuff still from the last Lebanese-Israel uh, war. Right, back in 2006. You know, you just reminded me, when we had the uh, the leader of the UAE Jewish community on uh, when he was in Washington, so I said to him, and this was such a ridiculous comment on my part, but only afterwards did I re- realize it, I said to him, so I guess the closest Orthodox Jews to you are in Israel. And he says, what are you talking about? They're Orthodox Jews in Iran. And he said... You don't realize how what we're doing here now, meaning UAE, Israel, etc., Bahrain, you don't realize how this has the potential to change the lives of those Jews of faith in all of these countries, including Iran. Eventually, you just reminded me of it when you were talking about the, uh, you know, the pressure that now Iran has because of the UAE-Israel agreement, and hopefully that will just increase, you know, as time goes by. But I don't realize, or I didn't until he opened my eyes. That and I'm sure you realize this that that you know there are pockets of Jews in all these places whose lives will be enhanced, no doubt, if things continue to progress along this way. You know, there are 50 Jews who've lived in Bahrain, and there's a long they have a long history, most intermarried, but there's there's still services. Uh, there's a synagogue, and um, uh, you know, the, the uh, I think Jared Kushner brought him the uh, Emir, the king of, of Bahrain, a uh, safer Torah. But set the conditions about its use and how it's to be sustained, and it's revered and it's treated with great respect and being used by the community. In Iran, uh, we have a, a more activist rabbi in Tehran. He's been more visible. Whether the government wants that, you know, is pushing that. It could be to counter the image. Uh, but the fact is that they have functioning yeshivas and synagogues in in Iran. Uh, but there's a long history in the Gulf going back to Muhammad's days in and a mixed record, but in the, now now all the positive things about Jews in the Quran are being <laughs> told everywhere, uh, except the PA that gave an order last Friday for them for for the mosques in, in the West Bank uh, to to um, sermonize about the, how horrific this betrayal was with a deal with the Jews, not Israel, not Zionist, wow. the Zionist entity, but the Jews. And I think it tells you a lot about the true intent and what, what this is about. You know, they've, they've missed every train, they've missed every boat and every airplane that was coming there to give them a way out. So it's not Israel that is holding them back. It's their own corrupt leadership. Unbelievable. What a great analysis. Uh, back to the U.N. for a second. The um, <laughs> I see the ambassador, Erdogan, is you know doing a lot of walking in and out of that General Assembly. Uh, what's Erdogan's problem with Israel this week, and, and why would he make such an issue of it at the General Assembly? It's not this week. It's uh, It's been that way for years. And, you know, Mavi Mamara and all the other incidents and his constant references to Al-Aqsa being under siege and, and but talked about the dirty hands because he wants to get his hands on it. And he is the one paying for a lot of the demonstrations. He's paying for people to buy land in Jerusalem. Wow. He is, he, uh, uh, is uh, and, and I've confronted him about it personally. And he said to me, you know, the bottom line is you can't be the caliph without Jerusalem. He sees himself as the new sultan, and Jerusalem is, is critical 
in that, and he wants to become the leader of the, I mean, he's a radical, he's a Muslim Brotherhood, the leader of the Sunni equivalent to the Iranian leadership in the Shiite community, uh, and he is engaging in building mosques all over, and he sends them a message every Friday about what they're allowed to preach. He is, and, and this I'm talking about all over Europe and right. in Africa, he's expanding his footprint, he's continuing his aggressive behavior, whether it's in whether it's in Syria, everywhere that Iran is, they are, and more. And he sees this as a complete reversal now that the when the Arab countries and Muslim countries and the countries Muslim countries of Central Asia have all linked up now with Israel, or many of them, and that this is um, you know undermines everything that that his aspirations uh, would be with these Sunni countries. That they disregard him, they see him today as a parallel threat to to Iran, and his economy is in shambles. He's, he's you know um, working against NATO, and the, I hear that they may activate the S four hundred system they got from Russia, uh, which is in Turkey already, and the you know that he he continues these this aggressive behavior, and this fits the pattern. He targets Israel. He has made anti-Israel and anti-Jewish remarks, even though the Jewish community in Turkey is treated well, um, but it is diminishing. It's um, it's very much in keeping where, where he is ideologically. Unbelievable. Uh, and Gilad Erdan also walked out when the because the I'm trying to get this if I'm right because the Secretary General did not mention the Israel UAE deal. Is that what happened? I don't know that he walked out on that. He would, they were critical of the fact that ah. the uh, Secretary General didn't mention it, and I am frankly very surprised because wow. it doesn't seem consistent with his uh, his, behavior, his you know where he stands in his comments and things he's told us. And the uh, you mentioned earlier, I was curious about. You know, I always think that the U.S. in order for it to implement real sanctions against Iran needs either EU and or UN permission. Permission may be the wrong word, but, you know, needs needs their help, so to speak. And then I saw these headlines this week about the U.S. basically, you know, unilaterally increasing the sanctions. And so now I understand if, if it's, it's no coincidence that, number one, there's a deadline, as you just described, in October, and number two, because the UN is gathering, right? If not for this timing, the sanctions probably would not be a major issue, correct, right now? No, it would be because it's the timing. It's nothing to do with the GA. It has to do with the expiration of the arms embargo next month, uh, which uh, coming on October eighteenth. Right. So this deadline we've known for a long time, and it has nothing to do with the parallel. It's not at all involved with the um, calendar of the UN, but the calendar of the deal. And now the, the Europeans and others saying, well, America can't engage in the snapback provision, which is that if there's a violation by um, Iran, that any of the countries could snap back the sanctions that were put in place between 2006 and 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the United States is now going to unilaterally impose back snap back sanctions and more. Uh, the Europeans have already said that they, you know, have defied it and even and condemned it, uh, but they have no alternative, and they see that Iran is rushing towards uh, a nuclear uh, capacity. Macron has been leading the uh, negative forces in Europe and that they're saying they won't compromise with the United States. Uh, and, you know, he's tried in Lebanon and failed. He's tried elsewhere and failed to play a constructive role. And uh, Fred seems to be wanting to get into the situations, including in the, in, in the Mediterranean where they, their presence was important. But we, we, we are seeing that the, um, 
we know the violations. All the every time a new report comes out from the IEA, it's about new violations that Iran is enriching above the level they were supposed to, both the intensity and amount. They are racing ahead in their missile capacity. All the components of a nuclear weapons program, meaning the weapon, the enriched uranium, and the delivery system. And you know the Europeans again putting their heads in the sand. Uh, the United Nations has no support. They don't like Trump, I guess, and is one factor. But they don't they don't seem to care about their own people because they will suffer the consequences of a nuclear Iran. We will see it everywhere because we'll have a, an arms race that would spring up immediately. The Saudis and the Chinese are talking about a nuclear nuclear facilities. Uh, they are already building in in some parts of the Gulf uh, nuclear reactors. Egypt was under contract to do it. So the uh, you know the ramifications. Uh, are very great. But again, it seems the Europeans are sticking their heads in the sand, don't want to face the reality. They're not, don't have the backbone to stand up and, and do the right thing. And it's, it's the potential is so, thank God, the United States at least uh, is doing so. And you have to think, will, will a country choose to do business with Iran and, and lose the opportunity with the United States and access to the dollar system, which is the core of, in trading? I don't think so. Right. You mentioned Sudan before. Um, the impression I was under is that uh, Sudan, because they're worried about what their neighbors might think, they were sort of playing it cool until they saw the reaction in the Gulf and the Middle East and Africa in general to the Israel-UAE deal. Uh, now it, you, you brought up something else that I, that I never considered, and that is that Sudan has to prove themselves to the international community as well, that, they, uh, that, that it's not just a matter of them accepting the possibility of normalization with Israel, but the rest of the world, so to speak, or the Western world, would have to be, be convinced that they are a legitimate partner for that relationship. Would that be accurate? That would be accurate because, you know, there was a change in government. There was a dictatorship. It was condemned. It is under uh, uh, U.S. sanctions as a state sponsor of terrorism. If you remember, they were the um, uh, buy station for Iran, uh, and there was the huge explosion a couple of years ago when Israel or somebody hit um, Iranian weapons uh, oh, right. Right. Uh, target there. Uh, so yes, they have a they have a responsibility. Their economic conditions are devastated. Obviously, it's one of the poorest countries in the world. They're caught in the Egypt, Ethiopian, uh, Sudan fight over the Nile. Uh, they're sort of squeezed in the middle of that. But the um, yeah, they have a, they have things to prove too. But they, their their concern, I think, is more their domestic population than the external forces, and whether they can how they can weather the reaction is likely to come from their participation. I think what countries are finding is that there's a lot less. You know, so many things have changed because of this. The Palestinian veto is gone. All those who talked about Israel's isolation have seen the the walls crumble. The PA, you know, got no money from the Arab world since March. And, and for the first seven months of this year, they got 36 million or 38 million, I think, as opposed to 267 million in the same time last year. People are, are voting with their pocketbooks, with their participation, with their outreach. And, you know, there, there are, this, this deal could bring phenomenal change if we can exploit and, and develop the capacities of the different countries with what Israel has to offer the, in the security areas, economic areas, energy areas, so many agriculture where, where they can all benefit uh, one another. 
And that's why I think others will come along. We should do it slowly and thoughtfully. I don't think it's a question that you can force people into relations, but they can all take steps uh, towards that end. Obviously, there are ramifications. Uh, Gans was here this week, this is the Minister of Defense of Israel, to meet with his American counterpart, Espler, about maintaining Israel's qualitative military edge. If the sale of F-35s will go through to uh, UAE, as it appears they will, uh, Friedman, Ambassador Friedman said it will take six, seven years, but there are uh, planes that were sold to Turkey that are sitting in the desert that could be um, moved to, to UAE, and that would certainly expedite the, the schedule. But the, you know, the, um, and there are obviously so many other ramifications about what it means that if Israeli planes can take off from Bahrain or the UAE in an event of an attack, God forbid, by, by Iran, and the the changes that this and encouragement that it gives to to the elements that are standing up against the forces of extremism, we saw it here. You know, this this remarkable development that, of course, won't get the attention it deserves. That San Francisco State, which is which signed an agreement after all of their violations and were taken to court by the Lawfare Project and others, um, now they were going to have Lila Khalid, right. who, who carried out two hijackings. She's responsible for the deaths of people, Americans. And they're giving her a platform, and because of the persistence, and it says that what shows you that when people stand up against it, the the end Jewish hatred group uh, coalition, that Zoom canceled the broadcast of her her thing and went to San Francisco State and said, can you tell us that she's not a member of a terrorist organization or associated with one? And they couldn't. And so Zoom, and then, then when they failed, they went to Facebook, and we're going to do it on Facebook, and Facebook pulled out. So we have to start because the Internet is the purveyor of so much hatred and anti-Semitism and anti-Israel uh, activity. Right. But the, the the real core of your point that has to be emphasized to this audience is that a lot of people have thrown up their hands. They felt that uh, exactly that, that big tech and that, uh, and that these uh, social media companies really have no uh, sympathy and, and not ready to take any action. Uh, but we see when there's pushback and there's a real effort, uh, change can be made even in, even in 2020 and even in those fora. So uh, it's, it's something encouraging and we should encourage people to, to speak up and to, uh, and to post responsible posts and to put pressure on those who need to be, per- who need to be pressured uh, because you do get results. Uh, you heard about this Israel rapid test being used in airports in Europe? Yes, and it's one of several that are being developed in Israel. Many that are being developed in Israel and other places around the world. But yes, it's. Uh, I'm sure it's going to come here soon too. And finally, is there any relationship between uh, the, the news item about the settler freeze uh, versus the 5,000 homes that Netanyahu may now approve and the UAE deal? In other words, if Netanyahu goes ahead and makes a move like this, or anything that has to do with expansion, so to speak. Does that officially have any, I don't want to say violation, but does it have any effect on, on what was recently agreed to between Israel and the UAE? Everything in the Middle East has an effect on everything else. We, we know that, and even if it seems sometimes remote. Uh, I don't know the conditions uh, of these were previously approved and pledged. Obviously, Netanyahu is facing internal opposition because of the, quote, the application of sovereignty being postponed. Uh, I, I think it was a decision that he, he weighed very carefully and said, look, what is in the long-term interest? He didn't give up on it. They didn't cancel it. And the U.S. officials have said that it was postponed as well. So, But there is a need for housing, and there have been uh, permits granted. Palestinians are building also all over uh, different areas. And um, so I think that it's, 
will some people try to use that against them? Yes, of course. But I, I don't think that these are going to be the things that they've proven that in the Arab world today, they're just sick and tired of the Palestinian issue. And you see even some of the Palestinian leaders saying, you know, we stretched this rubber band too far. And you see that we're not even on the agenda, that all these countries can move without even considering. They didn't consult with the PA about any of the steps they're taking. The PA was trying to get a condemnation from the, and was chairing a session uh, of the Arab League, and they refused, so they walked out of their own meeting. They were chairing the meeting, and they had brought this complaint, and uh, they were told it's not going to go, so they left. And so no resolution came out. They tried the same with the Gulf Cooperation Council. It was rejected. So they have to be looking and seeing the handwriting on the wall. Unbelievable. Uh, I wish you a Gmar Simatova. We will have an opportunity to speak Erev Sukkot, which will be one week from today. And just schedule-wise, everybody, we will not be on Hoshana Rabbah, but we'll continue, please God, with a regular schedule, Erev Shabbos Bracious. And Malcolm, a happy, healthy, Amen. sweet new year, and a Gmar Simatova to you. A Gmar Simatova to everybody, and uh, hopefully it will be a much better year. But look, we ended with good news. We, we will begin the year with good news. We will have wonderful things happening uh, this year, I think, and, uh, and God will just uh, give us uh, his blessings if people daven really would come on that and adhere to the rules. Protect your children, protect your parents, grandparents. We've got to take the steps, be proactive in it, and hold our officials to account at the same time. 100%. Thank you so much. And again, Agamar Simatova. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Friday morning, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time here at JM and the AM. Again, he will be here, Bezrat Hashem, next week, Erev Sukkis. And uh, in um, in uh, three weeks, Erev Shabbos Bracious. Two weeks from today, Hoshana Rabba, we will not have our weekly Update. JM and the AM, candlelighting in New York, 627 on this era of Shabbos Parshas Hazinu. It's era of Shabbos Shuvah. This time each and every Friday, every era of Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader emeritus, congregation Shomrei Torah, Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Arab Shabbos, everybody. Wow, we are this Shabbos. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Ha'azinu. According to the Chinuch, there are no more mitzvos, meaning we completed the 613th mitzvah two weeks ago when we read Parshas Vayelech, and we had the mitzvah of writing a Sefer Torah. However, the Ramban does count at the beginning of Parshas Ha'azinu, the last biblical mitzvah, and that is Ki Shem Hashem Ekra, that's the verse, which teaches us the biblical mitzvah of Birkas HaTorah. Everybody agrees to that number 613, but what is in that count and what is not is a machlokes. And so to the Ramban, Birkas HaTorah, is a biblical mitzvah, and therefore I urge men and women to recite every morning Birkas HaTorah. It's basically saying, thank you, Hashem, for giving us the Torah, for giving us the obligation of mitzvos, and for giving us a, quote, Torah way of life, a meaningful way of life, that Torah enhances every aspect of our life. Having said that, everybody agrees that 
there are 613 mitzvahs. But what is and what is not brings us to this Shabbos is a special designation of Shabbos Shuva. It is the Shabbos of the 10 days of Tshuva between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. The Torah that we're going to recite from the prophet Hosea, Shuva Yisrael. Clearly, the theme of Tshuva and repentance is not just in the air, but it permeates this Shabbos. I'd like to share with you, in keeping with the tradition of a Shabbos Shuva Drasha, that if you can go and hear one and be socially distanced from the rabbi, fine, indoors, outdoors. And if not, I hope that be it last night or Motsoi Shabbat, you'll be able to zoom in to various rabbonim who will be giving inspiring Shabbos Shuva Drashos. In that vein, I'd like to share with you the following idea, which I was inspired by the Tolna Rebbe, Rav Yitzchak Menachem Weinberg, and this is from his Sefer, Hema Yenachamuni. Interesting, is there a biblical mitzvah of tshuva, of repentance? And what's the answer? It depends on whom you ask. If you ask the Ramban, he'll tell you, of course. He'll even show you where it is. He'll tell you to go back to Parshas Nitzavim, and there, in chapter 30, the Torah speaks of Ki mitzvah zos. This mitzvah that God is giving us is not niflis, it's not beyond us, it's not rochoka, it's not at a different place, but rather, it's close to you, b'ficha, in your mouth, in your heart, to do it. And that goes according to the Ramban, the mitzvah of tshuva, namely, b'ficha is that a person should recite vidui, he should recite the confession as we do ten times over Yom Kippur, and then with his heart he should accept upon himself the future correction and observance of a Torah life. So according to the Ramban, he can show you where in the Torah, at the beginning of chapter 30, you are to return. Good. Take a deep breath. Let's now ask the Rambam, is there a mitzvah of tshuva? So the Rambam is going to say, of course, one is to do tshuva. And in chapter 7 of Hilchos Tshuva, he says for sure that the Torah has promised. So the verse that the Ramban uses of Bishavto al Hashem the Rambam was aware of that verse. And he says that verse is not a mitzvah to do tshuva, but that is a haftocha, that is a promise, that there will be a time when the entire Jewish people will do tshuva and return to Hashem. What is the mitzvah? Says the Rambam very carefully. It is opening laws of Hilchos tshuva, quote, Kola mitzvah Shabbatora, all the mitzvos, bein asei, bein losasei, be it the 248 positive mitzvos, be it the 365 restrictions, im avar adam al achas mehen, if one violated any one of these mitzvos, be it intentionally or accidentally, here comes the key word, ki she yaaset shuva, when they shall repent, v'yashuv mecheto, and they regret and turn away from their sin, chayov lehisvados l'fneyokel boruchu. He is then obligated to confess, to recite vidui, 
before God, and his proof text is the verse that's found in Pashas Noso, Isho Isha, man or woman, if they commit any of the sins, Visvadu, the mitzvah is Vidu. So it's clear that According to the Rambam, the mitzvah is not tshuva. Is tshuva necessary? Of course. It is necessary. It's a prerequisite for the vidui. Because vidui, confession, without tshuva, without regret, is like a person, quote, says the mabit, going into the mikvah, holding the sheretz, holding the literal, the rodent in your hand, the dead rodent, which is a source of impurity, the mikvah will be of no avail if one has not done shuva. But once again, the mitzvah is vidui. And this is seconded by the Minchas Chinuch, who understands the Rambam in Mitzvah Shin Samach Dalid. And so too, the Sefer Achinuch, who follows, quote, his Rebbe the Rambam, though he lived a few hundred years after him, once again writes, we were commanded to do sevidui on all the sins at the time when a person regrets. Once again, it comes from the person. Now, what might be the basis in halacha for the Rambam? So, the Tolna Rebbe Shlita gives a beautiful explanation based upon a Rambam in an earlier source. If you go to Shmos chapter 12 verse 43 and verse 48. 43 and 48. The Torah is speaking there, Zos Chukas HaPesach. These are the laws of the Korban Pesach. Watch. What does that mean? Our scroll translates, No alienated person may eat it. What's this alienated? So Rashi says that a person's actions have been alienated from God. Echad Nochri, we're talking about a non-Jew. The Echad Yisrael Meshumad, as the Targum understands, a Jew who has turned his back on his religion and unfortunately has accepted other foreign beliefs. So such a person, the Torah says, Lo Yochal Bo, he is not to eat of the Korban Pesach. Then, further down, in verse 48, the Torah says, V'chol oreil lo yolchalbo. An uncircumcised male cannot eat of the Korban Pesach. When the Rambam codified these laws in Hilchos, Korban Pesach, so in chapter 9, where he codifies it, he defines what is an oreil, a man who, unfortunately, his brother's Two brothers before him died as a result of circumcision. The halacha says this man is not to be circumcised. So all of us might instinctively say, okay, it's not his fault. All in favor, let him eat of the Korban Pesach. After all, he's Jewish. The Torah is teaching, don't worry, God forgives, but he's not to eat. Good. Then, regarding the verse of Kol Ben Lo Yochabo, that a estranged person, a Jew who unfortunately has turned his back on God, that person shall not eat. The Rambam does not explain it that he shouldn't eat, but he explains it to mean that you, the Jew, are not to invite him and give him to eat. Wait a minute. The Torah says he's not to eat. And you're explaining it, Rambam, that you are not to give it to him? Why? Why not explain it as it is? Why not translate that a man who has turned his back 
God forbid, is not to eat from the Korban Pesach. And the Kesef Mishnah on the Rambam explains this in a very powerful way. And that is, the Torah does not address an individual who is not prepared to listen. If this person is at the moment Lo'alenu, he is an Oved Avodah Zarah, he is worshipping another god, the Torah is not talking to him. The Torah speaks to people who are ready, willing to listen to what Hashem has to say. Ah, keep this in your mind, says the um, Tolna Rebbe. We think that what's about Shuvah, we think about Shuva is one who has undergone a lengthy process. He has studied, he has commitment, and at the end of the long road, ta-da, ta-da, you have a Baal Shuva. No, that's a big mistake. About Shuva is the moment that a person decides that what I'm doing is no good. He realizes the paucity in his life. He realizes the emptiness. He realizes that he has to go back. As soon as in his mind, Hashivenu, Hashem, I'm coming back. At that very moment, my friends, he decides to change his way. He is at that very point about Shuva. Ah, it's true. He has a long way to go, but he already began the process. Therefore, what can you compare this? Compare it to a traveler who is at a crossroad. He needs to go in one or the other direction. Unfortunately, he goes to the left. And after traveling a while, he stops and they tell him, no, excuse me, you made a mistake, turn around. The moment that you turn around, you're on the right path to the right direction. The moment that a Jew decides he wants to follow Torah, at that moment, he's called a choser b'tshuva. At that moment, he's the penitent. Before that, the Torah does not speak to him. He wasn't ready to listen. Who does it come from? It comes from himself. Ah, therefore, what does the Rambam write? Kishayase. When the individual is ready to do tshuva, then what do you have to do? The mitzvah of vidui. But it has to come from the person. A very powerful idea. Once he decides, interestingly, there's a very powerful Gemara. The Gemara is in Kedushim, whereby a man puts a ring on his bride and he says to her, Bubi, Hareya Mikudeshesli, behold, you are married to me, Bitabazu, with this ring, Almenas Sha'anit Sadik, on condition that I am a righteous person. Says the Gemara, Filu Rasha Gomor, even until now, he has a solid reputation. Even so, is the marriage a good marriage? Don't tell me that a minute ago he was a person not keeping kosher, not yet keeping Shabbos, etc. He is considered a what? It's a valid marriage. Why? Shema says the Talmud, Hear her tshuva belibo. What does that mean? In his heart, he began the process. He did just that. Once he decided in his mind, I'm going to change my ways, you're on the path. Where does he have to go? He has to go to do the mitzvah of vidui. But the Rambam tells us that a person has to um, literally take it upon themselves. Let's talk and review a little bit of Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, first of all, this coming Sunday, Erev Yom Kippur, there is a mitzvah to eat, to eat on Erev Yom Kippur. The Torah, like a loving mother, the Torah has only one fast day, the fast day of Yom Kippur, and before you fast, the Torah says, Bubi, make sure that you eat. When I say this very carefully, in many communities, and I cry 
Unfortunately, the mikvah is closed to men. What can I say? When you take a longer shower, at least five minutes, and you stand there, and you say to yourself, you know where you want to be. You want to be in the mikvah. And other communities, they do have mikvahs for men, and if you can go, be very careful, etc. But this is, unfortunately, that time in which we find ourselves. And remember, the su'uda mafsekes, the su'uda in the afternoon of Yom Kippur, whereby this is the meal before the fast. And a person should eat carefully in terms of those foods which would be appropriate right before a fast. But more significantly, we take Yom Kippur early. There's a mitzvah of Tosefes Yom Kippurim. So in the New York area, if sunset is approximately 6.44 this coming Sunday, then don't tell me I can eat till 6.42. No, not 6.43, but 6.42 I'll stop. No. The Torah says, number one, it's on the 10th of the month. And then the end of the paragraph in chapter 23 in Vayikra, on the 9th. So we start, and that's why there's a din of Tosefes adding on to at least 15, 18 minutes, if not a little bit more. We have the restrictions, and the person should say, I'm taking upon myself the restrictions of Yom HaKippurim. A beautiful tradition to say Tfilah Zaka after the Suda Mavsekes or in Shul, right before Kol Nidre. And be careful to put on the talis while it is still day. Be careful to light a Yurtzite candle for each of one's deceased parents. The idea being that it's Yom Kippurim in the plural. Not just the living, even the deceased are judged. How could they be judged? Through us. We do good. It's an enhancement of their neshava. Women light candles. And if you are getting in a car to go to shul, don't make the Sheikh Yanu when you light the candle. Make a condition. I'm lighting the candles with a bracha now, but I'm not accepting Kedushas Hayom till I get to the shul. If you are walking to shul or davening at home, then you have two brachos when you light the candles, Lahadlik Ne'er of Yom HaKippurim and the bracha of Sheikh Yanu. There are five restrictions from, according to the Rambam, from the Torah, on Yom HaKippurim, eating and drinking, most serious. They are punishable by kores, being cut off from our people. The idea is, this is too complicated to go into if one has to eat on Yom Kippur. Doctor's orders, eat. There's a mitzvah to eat if one has to. The only question is how. Call your local Orthodox Rub and he'll guide you how to properly eat and how to properly drink on Yom Kippur. To take a bite, to wait 10 minutes. To take a small shot glass, a little water and juice, drink, wait 10 minutes. Second of the restrictions are we can't wash our body when you wake up in the morning. You wash to your knuckles, then shake the water off your hands, rub your fingers through your eyes, and that's it. However, what's prohibited is which means washing for pleasure. If a person is washing, let's say, because they got hands dirty one way or another, that's not a problem. You can wash all over. And finally, 
if a uh, a kohen before birkas kohenim, if they're washing their hands again to the wrists. The third is applying ointments to the body after shave. You're not going to shave, but I like the scent. Not on yom kippur lipsticks and all kinds of cosmetics. Not wearing leather shoes and marital relations. The common denominator to all five is that they are pleasurable for the body. Yom Kippur is the day we accentuate the soul. We remember that we are a very special Elokai Nishama Shenosatobi, the bracha we say every day, thanking Hashem for our Nishama. Children are not obligated to fast under Bar Bas Mitzvah. A boy and girl approximately a year before Bar Obas Mitzvah should be encouraged to fast as much of the day as possible. And otherwise, we train children by delaying their eating an hour or so on Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, remember, we are like angels. Baruch, Shem, Kivod, Machuso, Leolam, Va'ed is said aloud after the line of Shema. I want to talk about for a moment that mitzvah of vidui. According to Rabbeinu Yonah, there's a separate mitzvah to do tshuva on Yom Kippur. The vidui that we recite, Oshamnu, Bogadnu, Gazalnu, what in the world do those words mean? And if you look at the English translation, you're going to find that really we're not exactly sure. What do they mean, those words? So I'm going to tell you what the Chaye Adam suggests. They go Oshamnu, Bagadnu, Gazalnu, ABC, Aleph Beis Gimel. Sit down, my friends, on Sunday or even Saturday night in the privacy of your home. Take out your piece of paper and write down on your paper your ABC, your possible infractions that you might have done during this past year and what you would like to improve upon and try to find, hey, what begins with the letter A? What begins with with the letter B. And therefore, you should, as the Pasuk says, in Yirmiyahu, what we had on the Haftorah of the second day of Rosh Hashanah, says God about the Jewish people, Shomoa Shomati Ephraim misnoded. Literally, Hashem says, I hear Ephraim, you want to call it moaning, misnoded, Ephraim is taking baby steps. That's it. That's what we have to do on Yom Kippur. That's what Hashem wants. It's very hard to go from one to a hundred. But once you take the baby steps, we all say Modeh Ani in the morning. Do we say it by rote? And afterwards, if I ask you, what did you just say? I'm not exactly sure. Or no, Modeh Ani Lefonecha. You want to know something? I couldn't make this up. I had a cousin. Unfortunately, she suffered from MS. For years, she was on her back, literally. And they would move her from side to side. But basically, she was positioned on her back for hours and hours at a time. I would go to visit her. My friends, how many of you have anything written on your ceiling? In her bedroom, on the ceiling, was Modeh Ani Lefanecha. It meant so much to her that even though she was so limited, she was able to connect with Hashem and say, Thank you, Hashem. We all use the restroom. We all go to the bathroom. Yes, 
We say the bracha, but too often it is mitzvahs anoshim milamuda. As if I'm a robot. I use the bathroom. Do I stop and realize, wow, it's only when unfortunately something goes, that's right, goes wrong. So therefore, a baby step. I'm going to say Asher Yatsar with much better kavana. I'm going to take upon myself to say one Tehillim a day. Start with the first one. That's right. And the second day, do the second one. Even if it takes you 150 days to finish, it's going to add meaning to your day because you're saying to Hillim for Klal Yisrael, who's going, and the rest of the world, who's going through a very difficult time. Take upon yourself that baby step. Friday afternoon, when there's tension in the home, I will not get angry. I'm going to work on my ka'as. I'm going to work on my anger. I'm going to take out a safer, and there's so much and so many good svarim on the laws of Shabbos. What do I need to know to make a salad on Shabbos? And the answer is much. And you're going to enjoy it. And you're going to study it. And you're going to enjoy the salad all the more because you followed the halacha as to how and when to make the salad. I can go on and on. I just want to close with a passage from the Nisana Tokev, which is ayayay, relating the power of the holiness of Yom Kippur. This is the day that unfortunately it is determined what is going to be the fate of the forthcoming year. Who could have known when we say the words unfortunately, Miva Mayim Miva Eish, Miva Eish takes on a different meaning for all the adults who remember 9-11 and the Eish took on a different meaning to all of us, not just an individual house fire Rachman And then we have Mi Bama who by plague until Corona, who thought that the word Magefa could mean anything but the ten plagues in Egypt? And now we know what a Magefa is. We're going to say Ovinu Malkeinu, the tenth Ovinu Malkeinu, is Minah. We pray to God, please remove the Magefa, the pandemic, Minah from our midst. This is Yom Kippur. Make it meaningful. I take this opportunity to wish Nachum and his family and his many staff that gives us the opportunity all year long to connect, connect with Jewish music, to connect with Jewish law, to connect with Jewish news, to be proud of being Jews. We wish Nachum and his family, Igmar Chasimatova, and to all our listeners who, Baruch Hashem, are growing. I thank you for the opportunity for allowing me to grow with you and wish everybody a good year, a year of Chayim, a year of Shalom. And please, God, it should be a year that we could have people once again in our homes, that we can sit next to each other in the Pesach Knesses, that families can be together. Those things which we took for granted, which were so natural, all of a sudden we don't have, that we can't get on a plane and visit Eretz Yisrael. All this and so much more is what we are praying for this Yom Kippur. Shabbat Shalom and a Gemar Chasimatova to all.
J.M. in the A.M. as we get set to uh, wish everyone a Gemara Chasimatova and a good year. A reminder, Matis has J.M. Sunday this coming Sunday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time for an Erev Yom Kippur. J.M. in the A.M. returns Tuesday morning starting at 6 a.m. here 
on the Nahum Siegel Network. Full schedule today. We'll go through it in a moment. Saturday Night Siegel with Avrami tomorrow night with Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. Join them starting at 9 p.m. Eastern time here on the Nahum Siegel Network. It, it is, by the way, heartwarming when I go on our uh, system on Matzei Shabbos and see the numbers climb from zero all the way into the stratosphere as people start their week by listening to our network and the music that we play on Saturday night and our Rummy's show at 9 p.m. So um, if you haven't tried it yet, try it. I highly recommend it. I think you'll enjoy it. If you enjoy our programming all week, why wouldn't you enjoy it? Um, mazel tov to uh, Pam and Robert Lunzer and the entire Lunzer family upon the engagement of Rena and Ellie Kite of Tom's River. Mazal tov to Ellie, mazal tov to Rina, and of course to Pam and Robert and the entire Lunzer family, and to Baruch Lunzer. Yeah, we're gonna give uh, Baruch a special, uh, a special hello, and wish him a gemara So mazal tov to all from all of us here at JM in the AM uh, this week on a packed Aserisim Chuva Erev Shabbos show, sponsored by the wonderful people at Kedem, and which starts, by the way, in three minutes. Well, officially in three minutes. It'll start after Hatikva. Uh, and uh, that's because Naomi's off this week. So the Erev Shabbos show has been moved up from 10 a.m. till 9 a.m. Again, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Mark will feature music not only from the Parsha and the Haftorah, but from the Haftorah that we don't read. Hmm. Of course, the mix also includes Yom Kippur and Slichus music as well. You're not going to want to miss it. That's coming up at 9 a.m. just a couple of minutes from now here at the Nahum Siegel Network. And no matter what you're doing in the final hour before candle lighting time, and candle lighting time in New York is 627 today, no matter what you're doing at, uh, let's say, 515 Eastern time, um, you want the Nahum Siegel Network as your companion. This week, the mix will feature the classic Mordechai ben David Vchom Aminim, Jep's One Peaceful Friday Night, also included is Yishai Rebo's Ochila, and the song that started it all, Deaf Man in the Shtibel. The hour is sponsored by Kedem, is the best way to get into the Shabbos spirit. The Nahum Siegel Network, the official soundtrack of Erev Shabbos, and now with a special one-hour presentation brought to you by Kedem and presented by Mark Zamek, uh, every uh, Erev Shabbos starting at about an hour before candle lighting time. So check it out, and as we say, enjoy. Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM in the AM.
Your candles will be burning. They'll fill your home with light. Singing songs of Shabbos. Well into the night. So throw away your hammer. There's nothing left to do. Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners, sponsored digital radio, around the world, on the web, and AlchemSingle.com, and the AlchemSingle Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. And that'll wrap up an amazing week for us here at JM in the AM and here at the AlchemSingle Network. And I thank all of you for tuning in and being part of this amazing radio experience. Thanks to those of you who've been supporting us at fjbunity.org. fjbunity.org. Give generously to our Rosh Hashanah campaign. Mark Zomik, the incredible Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos show is next. Kedem presents the Arab Shabbos music mix all through the day. And of course, don't forget the last hour, about 5.15 p.m. Eastern time, you'll hear an amazing final hour brought to you by Kedem before candlelighting time. Make sure to check it out on the Nachum Siegel Network. We are your soundtrack for an Erev Shabbos. And again, thank you to our friends at Kedem. Saturday night, Siegel will have Rummy tomorrow night with Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. Matis JM Sunday, Sunday morning, starting at 7 a.m. Eastern time for an Erev Yom Kippur. I speak to you next Tuesday morning. Have an easy fast, everybody. A wonderful Yom Tov and, of course, a fantastic Shabbos Shuvah coming up. Till next uh, time, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.